Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are talking about proof theory still. We were talking about linear logic for a while, um, and I didn't record last week because um, this week I, I'm trying to get to talking about ordinal analysis in proof theory. So if you're talking about proof theory, <laughs> you really can't neglect the subject of ordinal analysis or else you're kind of, um, you know, you're, you're just hitting some parts of it. But ordinal analysis is a really major part of proof theory, the technical part of proof theory. Um, and I'm going to tell you a tiny bit about ordinal analysis. Um, I'm laughing because definitely my expertise is, is completely, you know, out. I've actually studied... Um, the basics of so I've studied aspects of ordinal analysis a number of times. Um, it's not the sort of thing that I think you probably really need to know as a computer scientist who's trying to do some kind of applied proof theory, but uh, it is intriguing because the basic idea of ordinal analysis you might remember from your graduate level set theory class that you all had. No, <laughs> just kidding. We don't have, I didn't have, I had like some, I had some set theory at the grad level, but it was actually a little too much for me and I didn't end up finishing that. But um, anyway, but an ordinal, right, is this kind of like just the way when we generalize, when we generalize numbers to the infinite, right, so we have cardinals, which probably most, you know, most technically informed people are at least vaguely aware of, right, we have these, like the size of the, the set of, you know, the size of the set of real numbers is considered to be a greater cardinal number than the size of the natural numbers. Um, so that basically when we go infinite, our notion of number, um, you know, we have the, the cardinal numbers for measuring size, but for measuring ordering, we get a more fine-grained notion than just cardinals. Like, sure, we have an ordering on cardinals, like the the cardinal for natural numbers is less than, is smaller than the cardinal for the reals, but we um, actually can get a lot more, we get a lot more fine-grained view of ordering. And so this sort of little slogan is it kind of like the idea that we, in with a number, a natural number, we're used to having sort of the ordering aspect and the, the size aspect just kind of coincide. But when you go infinite, these things separate. It's pretty, pretty darn interesting stuff. Thank you, Georg Cantor, for inventing the whole ball of wax <laughs> in the 19th century. Um, so uh, ordinals um, are basically are these, these like are these um, correspond to uh, well orderings to you know orderings that you where you do not have any infinite descending chains. You cannot get smaller and smaller forever. Uh, and so the ordinals really, um, they capture, uh, a sort of, from a computer science perspective, they capture a kind of a termination power of your system, that it's kind of, it's actually pretty neat. And proof theorists were pretty, I think, pretty psyched about the idea that we're going to have just this one value that's a number. I mean, it's a generalization of numbers into the infinite, um, that's going to tell you kind of how powerful your system is. It's pretty cool. It's like I've got a twelve, you know, I got a, you know, four hundred horsepower, you know, John Deere tractor, and I've got a gamma knot power um, proof system. You know, it's like it's pretty nice if you could kind of just have a single quantity that lets you kind of compare some notion of the power of 
a proof system with another. And that's that's really pretty pretty awesome basic idea. So um, yeah, so with an the idea is to, to be able to define for a proof system a what's its proof theoretic ordinal. Um, and I, you know, we I could try to say a little bit about ordinals. I mean basically the you um, you start with zero and you can take successors. And you can also take uh, least upper bounds of certain, um, like, I don't know, I don't remember quite all the technical details, but you have, you can take least upper bounds of certain kinds of sets of ordinals. And those will also be ordinals. So, um, what, you know, so we have zero, we can take successors to get the usual natural numbers, but you can um, take the least upper bound of those, which you take just by unioning all the finite ordinals up and you get omega um so i guess i forget i'm not sure how much this sort of idea of ordinals depends on the i think it's von neumann definition where we we say that zero is the empty set and then successor of an n is you take n union the set containing n so this means that the the number seven is really the set of uh, numbers zero through six that's how we define seven and omega gets defined to be all the, the set of all the natural numbers, but we can go beyond that because we can say, let's take the set of natural numbers, that's omega, and let's throw in omega too. So imagine if you have a set that contains all the natural numbers and also omega. That it, which, what's omega again? The set of all the natural numbers. Um, now that might seem kind of weird. I like zero, one, two, three, four, five, and I've got, I've got all these numbers, and I've also got omega. It's just another set. It was defined, you know, I defined omega, so I can build a set that has omega in it, as well as the natural numbers. That's all totally legal. But I can, I can go further, right? I can have successor of successor of omega. And if I keep going like that, eventually I get omega plus omega. I get like two copies of omega. And I can then I can have omega plus omega plus omega. And I then I can get omega squared. And I basically have all these operations that are building, um, we sort of, you know, you kind of think of them as building these things up, going kind of higher and higher. But in fact, it's probably better to think of it as like, when I have one of these ordinals, right? Like, say I have omega squared. Um, omega squared is, is saying, um, I mean, think of it as an ordering. It's like, or think of it as how, like, I'm allowed to decrease in certain ways. Um, so, uh, actually, yeah. Um, I think if I had, let's see, if I have omega squared, um, all the values that are in omega squared basically are like omega plus omega plus omega, you know, some finite number. So we could just say like omega times n, where n is just a good old natural number. I've got n copies of omega that I've added together, and then I have some finite number n after it. So like the elements of omega squared all look like omega times n plus m, where n and m are natural numbers. Okay, now going down, you know, so again, you know, we're sort of thinking like, wow, when I first heard about this in grad school, I had a math. 
doctoral student who was one of my apartment mates when I first started grad school. And he was like, he, I think he had actually just learned about this stuff too. And he was like, wow, it's so amazing. Like we can kind of just go off into infinity and more infinity and even more infinity. I was, I was doodle, duly impressed. I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's like a load of infinity. I like infinity. So that, that was like pretty exciting to hear about that. So you kind of think about going off into the infinite stratosphere, but again, it's actually kind of like, again, from a computer science perspective, it's a little more interesting to think about, well, coming back down to earth, <laughs> coming, heading down towards zero, which is where your all your sequences of or, you know orderings within that ordinal are going to end. They're going to end at zero. You go down and down and down and down. What's the ordering on the ordinal again? Like how is six less than seven? The ordering you take is just the the set membership ordering because remember we define seven to be the set of numbers zero through six. And so to say six is less than seven is to say six is in seven. <laughs> like seven is the set. This is like set theoretic bonanza, right? Everything's a set. Set, 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 set. And so being a smaller set means being inside the other one. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyway, omega squared, we're talking about things that uh, are like omega times n plus m. And going down in omega squared means if I drop... I could leave my first number alone, like omega n plus m. I really have, like, just think of it as like a pair of two numbers, n and m. n could stay the same, but then m needs to go down, right? But now here's the cool part. If, so I've got these pairs of numbers. It's because I'm really thinking of, like, omega times n plus m. Now imagine that the n part of this thing goes down, right? You're basically saying that you've decreased your number, I mean, just kind of rough, very roughly and intuitively, by an infinite amount. Okay, so uh, when you go down from like omega times seven plus something to omega times six, like what's happening in that little piddly tail of that's just the natural number added at the end is like completely insignificant to dropping off a whole factor of infinity, right? Like omega times seven plus um, five, if you drop from omega times seven to omega times six, then you can just let that other number explode to some astronomical thing, right? Just make it be like the, you know, the 21st busy beaver number or some astronomically enormous number, and it still doesn't matter because extremely large numbers are still less than infinity. So when you drop down a whole copy of infinity, you can blow up this finite part as much as you want. And you know what? That gives you the lexicographic ordering uh, of a pair of numbers. Right, the lexicographic ordering of pairs of numbers says, like, if I got two numbers, well, you know, the pair I get, a, I can get a smaller pair by either decreasing the the second component and leaving the first component the same, or having the first component go down. But then I say, don't need to say anything about what happens to the second component, so it could go up a lot. That's and that would still be decreasing. You would still be well founded. You'd still always, eventually, if you keep going down this way, like my you know, omega times n plus m, my n part goes down, my m part explodes. Okay, now eventually my m part has to go down or something, or my n part could go down again, the m part could explode again. But eventually, right, I would have whittled my way all through the n part, and I'd be forced to chew my way down through the m part, and eventually I would get to zero. So the ordering would be well-founded. Um, and, uh, yeah, okay, so this is turning out to be, like, this, I thought I was just going to say one thing about um, ordinal analysis and proof theory. <laughs> um, not that that wouldn't really warrant 
um, weeks of discussion, but I, my expertise doesn't go that far. But hey, I guess I remember a little bit about ordinal operations a tiny bit. And um, yeah, so I think I'll just, I'm heading to my destination. So I'm going to just wrap up and we'll, we'll come back to what it means to have an ordinal analysis of a proof system in the next um, next uh, podcast episode. But uh, just speaking about ordinals a little bit more to lead that direction. Right, so we have like omega squared, and you can imagine, right? We're like omega cube, omega four. Okay, what's the limit of like omega to the n? Well, by golly, it would be omega to the omega. Hey, that's amazing. More infinity. This is the kind of thing like when I was hearing from this um, <laughs> this old uh, apartment mate there and at, at grad school. It was like, wow, that's so amazing. Omegas and more omegas and infinities piled on top of infinity. Right, so omega to the omega, okay. And now we can kind of play the same game again. We can get omega to the omega to the omega. So we can get finite towers of omega exponentiations. Um, And what would the limit of that be? Well, it would be an infinite tower. (laughs) And that's called epsilon zero. An infinite tower of omegas. Or a better way to say it is, it's the least fixed point of the omega to the power something function. Um, Epsilon zero is an ordinal where if you raise omega to the epsilon zero, it doesn't change it. You still have epsilon zero. So epsilon zero is the least fixed point of the function that raises something to the omega power. Or sorry, that raises omega to something to the power. Um, okay, so that was a little whirlwind on ordinals. Um, and it, it gets way crazier. <laughs> And even further outside my realm, my comfort zone. Um, next time, I'll try to tell you a little bit about some um, how you define just how powerful, like how many you know horsepower does your proof system have by an ordinal analysis. And I've got some pretty nice papers by a research by a professor named Michael Rathjen, who's in England, and uh, he's done the world a great service by giving some pretty nice, tutor- fairly tutorial presentations of this um, quite technical and esoteric material. All right. Thanks for listening in, and I hope you're well wherever you are. As always, feel free to drop me a line. If you want to say hi, introduce yourself. I really enjoy getting to meet people who listen to the podcast. Thank you again very much for generous souls who contributed. The generosity was both in the 5 or 10 or small amount of money that I had asked people so kindly to give me, but also in the time it took to navigate the irritating donation website. Thanks a lot for doing that. I really appreciate it. It made me feel really positive about things. So thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again another time pretty soon about ordinal analysis of proof systems.